0: Hello. This is week four of Is It Worth It, the film review podcast where we go out of our way to see all the films in the cinema, even the bad ones, so you don't have to. My name's Craig Fields. And I am David Long. Uh, and on this week's show, we've got quite a lot. We've got The Shape of Water, directed by Galmero del Toro. We'll be taking a look at Black Pant for the
1: latest Marvel film. Uh, I'll be reviewing The Mercy, starring Colin Firth. I'll also be reviewing 1517 to Paris, directed by Clint Eastwood.
0: And we'll also be looking at the
1: kids' film Tad the Lost Explorer and The Secret of King Midas. Superb. Yeah, How are you today? You I'm right? very well, Craig, thank you. Um, and you're, I must say, folks, Craig's looking great this week, sporting a very attractive hoodie sponsored by Jack and Jones. Um, <laughs> and a hat. Oh, don't yeah, don't even mention that. The, the, the hat, folks, is, I mean, it really does suit Craig. Um, but do you want to tell our viewers the age specified for the hat that you are wearing. I'd rather not. Please do. <laughs> this hat, <laughs> this hat
0: is supposed to be a hat for age 3 to 4 years.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely fantastic. And the thing is it fits his head absolutely perfectly, really quite snug. But when I put it on, I look like one of those children, you know, at school with one of those old school caps. And honestly, it doesn't get past about the first three inches of my head. I think when when the good Lord made us, I think he may have got us crossed up on the production line or messed up and he just gave Craig 30% of a head and me 70%. Because as my good friend David White would say, uh, I don't have a forehead, I have a five head. It's quite an impressive dome, <laughs> quite large. I don't. I don't know why I have such a small head. It is ridiculously small. Um, I might post a, f- uh, a photo on our Twitter page of me wearing the hat because yeah, we need to see the hat to scale. It's incredible. But no, Craig is looking good. Uh, a lovely
0: sweatshirt. Um, well, Thank you. it's finally to be finally nice to be. Uh, you know, honoured by the way I dress.
1: Mm. I'm <laughs> uh, I'm looking smart as usual, wearing a nice crisp shirt, um, but. That's beside the point. No one can see us, so... Well, they, they might when we do another Facebook Live at some point. Well, yeah, we, uh, we enjoyed Facebook Live last week. Thank you very much for listening. Um, and if you haven't been following us on Facebook, please do do so. Um, we're going to kick off this week's show with an email. Uh, an email from Richard Spicker. Um, and it's a fantastic email, so thank you very much uh, for getting in contact with us, Richard. The email says this, David, Craig... Just listen to podcast three and the tears are still rolling down my cheeks with laughter following your review of Winchester. It sounds such a complete turkey that I'm almost tempted to go and see it. It prompted me to wonder what your ultimate cinematography stinker is. David, as you know, mine is Pearl Harbour, which, after an hour, had me side it with the Japanese. <laughs> oh, no. He's got a point there, to be fair. <laughs> Miss, uh, We we will touch upon uh, Pearl Harbour after, after this email. Um, it then says, I was very interested in your review of Journey's End, which I haven't seen yet. I remember reading it at school, so must try and go and see it. One of you made a very interesting point about the camera work. No wide angle or aerial shots um, to dissipate the claustrophobic claustrophobia of life in a trench. I read a review in a newspaper last week where the reviewer was critical of this approach, saying it was a lost opportunity to portray the scope of trench warfare on the Western Front. Strikes me he missed the point to which you two seized on. The original play was not about action, but about mental um, disintegration caused by exposure to war. From your review, it sounds like the matters of the film have stayed true, uh, to this, so uh, well done to them and well done to you for spotting what a Fleet Street journal failed, sorry, faulted to see. Keep up the work, uh, keep up the good work, guys. Richard, um, thanks very much uh, for that email, Richard. And sorry, I didn't read it very well, but it's in quite small print on my screen. <laughs> um, well, but yeah, um, a, a, a great email. And yeah, siding with the Japanese, you can't blame him really. It's a terrible
0: film, really, isn't it?
1: Well, the thing about Pearl Harbour is that it, it did very, very well. Uh, it got nominated for Oscars, but it is so cheesy. Mm. It really is one of the cheesiest films you will ever see. And historically, there are so many faults in that film. Um, but one of my favourite, well, not favourite, one of the worst mistakes actually is where they show the Japanese bombing an American hospital, which just didn't happen. And not only didn't it happen, it actually really quite... Uh, pissed the Japanese off quite a lot and um, it, it very nearly started World War 3 actually I think this film um, but the whole film is just a sound bite there's no prolonged dialogue in it it's just all s- cheesy snippets it's,
0: it's Michael Bay doing what he does with all his other films so it's like before he did Transformers this was like a test shoot for Transformers <laughs> in a way because Transformers was just the same sort of camera move same fast paced action yeah
1: Next shot, next shot, next shot, and it it just didn't work. It's it's incredible directing though, because somehow Bay tries to turn Pearl Harbor into a great victory, which it really wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, they got absolutely destroyed. Um but yeah, uh I know Richard is not a fan of Pearl Harbor. Um perhaps for for his for his birthday, or for Christmas, I might just get him a Michael Bay box set <laughs> <laughs> and send it to him in the post. Nineteen but, um, Transformer films, oh, yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> oh, actually, no. The uh, Pearl Harbor um, director's cut, which I think is about an hour and a half extra. Oh,
0: so, of what? yeah,
1: look forward to that, Richard. That might be coming in the post your way. But um, in terms of what he said about Journey's End, I think he makes a good point because. On reflection, Journey's End is still one of my favourite films in the cinema at the moment, and if you haven't seen it, I really, really recommend going to see it, and Richard, I think you'd absolutely love it. And the camera work's very close, the action scenes are quite clumsy, but it is a fantastically well-made film, and there are one or two aerial shots, Yeah. and when they're used, they are used so, so well. But the whole point is you're supposed to feel like you're in the trenches, and how can you feel like you're in the trenches if you're shooting it from a bloody drone? You know, this is this is designed to show you the impact of war on man. And also, this particular trench, um, they'd been a sta- in a standoff and a stalemate with the Germans for a year. So, I mean, fair enough. You know, th- another critic can say, well, film it from the air. But why? <laughs> there was nothing to film. The whole point was there was a standoff. This film shows the, the Brits waiting, basically, for their fate. You know, film it from the air. There was nothing to film. And yeah. when when there is action, it is filmed very, very well. And the aerial shots were basically just to... I think they were quite near the end, really, of the film. They were, and yeah. And it was
0: really just to highlight...
1: The destruction just, of war. Yeah. And also how close they were to the Germans. Um, because you're talking 20, 30 yards and mm. a year. Nothing happened. So it was
0: used, you know, for pur- purposeful meanings, really.
1: So, mm. yeah, it was, yeah, it was good. But, yeah, thanks very much uh, for the email, Richard. And, uh, yeah, Pearl Harbor. Indeed. Michael Bay. Mm-hmm. If you've got something to say, please do get in touch
0: with us. You can email us on our usual email address, which is mymailisworthit at gmail.com, or you can tweet us at filmisworthit, and you can find us on Facebook. The link will be in the description. Uh, We'll be heading on over now to the box office rundown.
1: Not sponsored by Nicolas Cage. This is the Box Office Rundown, brought to you by Is It Worth It, the film review podcast.
0: So the Box Office Rundown this weekend was for February the 9th to the 11th, 2018.
1: And what have we got at number one, David? Ladies and gentlemen, straight to the top, exploding in at number one. <laughs> oh, come exploding on. Exploding everywhere. Um, Fifty Shades Freed. Well, that's taken £6.6 6 million pounds at the weekend. And it's has grossed, grossed £7.5 It's only been out for a week. Um, let's hope it has the stamina to last. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could see this being there for a while. What a terrible concept for a film, really. Mm. Um we will talk about that. It's basically let's go and watch soft porn in a in a in a theatre with other human beings. Not well, my kind of movie, but, but we will be seeing it.
0: Yeah, I was going to say you, we haven't actually seen either of the other films.
1: No, and I haven't read the books either.
0: I ha- I did start watching um, the first one, but turned off after about didn't didn't turn you on. Didn't turn me on after ten <laughs> minutes. I just turned it off because I thought it was a load of cobblers, really.
1: A load of cobblers.
0: How many times could we say cobblers, cobblers?
1: <laughs>
0: oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear. Uh, so at number two, we had The Greatest Showman. It's still there. It took £1.9 million at the weekend, which is just outstanding. Yeah, It's grossed £25.4 million. It's been in the box office for seven weeks. This has got true staying power.
1: The, this has got the stamina. Um, it really has. And I said last week, I can see it being there for another five, ten weeks. Maybe I was a little bit ambitious, but I don't see it going anywhere. Um, continues to do very well. Um, and... And people love this film. Uh, next in, we've got Coco taking £1.2
0: million at the weekend. Now, it's it's up there again. Um, it is half term, so I expect mm. this actually to be higher up by next weekend, actually.
1: Yeah, I think The Greatest Showman and Coco and Early Man will do very well during the half term period.
0: I think it might be knocked out, knocked out, though, by or one of them, at least by Black
1: Panther. Yes, Black Panther isn't isn't in uh, this week's box office because it wasn't out. No, it was out on Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Craig will be reviewing that on today's show. Uh, So like we said, 1.2 million at the weekend for Coco, 11.8 million grossed altogether. It's been in the box office now for a month. Number four, Early Man, took another 1.1 million at the weekend. It's grossed 5.3 and it's been in the box office for three weeks. Number five, Darkest Hour. Darkest Hour, Gary Oldman's still here, still churchilling. Mm -hmm. um, Took another 0.9 million. It's been in the, uh, box office now for five weeks, a total gross of £20.8 Um which is actually less than The Greatest Showman, which is unbelievable, really, um, when you think of the difference in the quality of those films. but
0: um, They're two completely different films. They are I two mean, completely different darkest films. Darkest Hour, you wouldn't go and take uh, a 10-year-old to go and see. <laughs> <laughs> well, unless Possibly. they were, you know, a, a, a big historical well, yeah. lover. But I think you'd take a 10-year-old to go and see The Greatest Showman. Yeah. yeah. So I can see why. It's got wider, because, appeal. It's wider appeal.
1: The Darkest Hour is a historical biopic, and The Greatest Showman is historical nonsense. <laughs> you and, make a and, really valid point there. Uh, it's as simple as that. And and look, I'm, I'm not going to deny that I have listened to some of the songs. Shongs? Shong. I'm sorry. I seem to have turned into Jonathan Ross this week. Um, and Sean Connery. It's because I've still got this bloody man flu, and it's made me lose my hearing, so I can't actually hear my own voice. So um, probably a good thing, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um... But no, The Greatest Showman, um, what was I going to say about it?
0: Oh, you know what? I don't know. I'm not in your head.
1: Oh, dear. Doesn't
0: matter. Let's move on. Maze Runner is next in. Uh, It's taken £0.7 million at the weekend and has grossed £5.3 million. It's been in the box office for three
1: weeks. Seems to be slowing down a little bit here. Mm. Sorry, I'm still trying to think what I was going to say about The Greatest Showman. It will come back to me.
0: It'll be bloody good.
1: uh, Wide appeal... Children, you've listened to some of the songs,
0: you like the oh, songs. Oh no, that was it, yeah, sorry, I've listened okay. to some
1: of the songs and they do grow on you. This is the thing about this film, the songs do actually grow on you and they're not as bad as I first thought. Um, I don't know if they're sort of laced with drugs or laced with, I don't know, some sort of secret code or something because there's something slightly addictive about them and it's annoying that I've listened to them a few times. They're just good songs, I guess. Oh, uh, Maybe. Mm. It's growing on me. Back to the Death Cure. Back to the Death Cure. Yes, that's in at number seven.
0: Yeah, it's it's a good film. Um, lots of explosions. Lots of explosions, as we said. Uh, it's doing all right in the box office. I, I don't see it being there for the next couple of weeks. I mean,
1: however, half-term, weekend, children. Mm. So, it could be. Den of Thieves is an eight. That only took 0.6 million this weekend. It's only grossed 2.3 million. I would be surprised to see that there next weekend.
0: Two two weeks in the box office though, so it's it's got potential to yeah, still be in there. Uh,
1: you messaged me the other day letting me know that Den of Thieves Two is going to be made. Oh, <laughs> but um, I, I I don't know if I said in my review I it did have a feeling that they were setting it up for a for a second film, which could be uh, truly tragic, particularly if they make it as long as the first one. Um, number eight, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. That's now been in the box office five weeks. Grossed naught point six million at the weekend, ten point three million all in all. It remains a fantastic film, um, funny, sad, um, a real emotional roller coaster. Nominated for a number of Oscars, including Best Actress for uh, Frances McDormand, and I think she will win that. Go and see it. Yes, it it is worth it. Number nine, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. Still there. And why is it still there? Because it's a bloody good film. <laughs> Fair enough. It's taken £0. £0.6 million
0: at the weekend, £35.4 million grossed, eight weeks in the box office, as you just said. And, and it's a good film. I think Dwayne The Rock Johnson has a lot to do with this film, actually, in the sense that he... I watched Baywatch the other day,
1: and <laughs> oh god, and I know, and oh the new, oh, oh the new the yeah, film. Yeah, yeah, oh, the, I thought you meant you watched the original series. No, no, no,
0: no. And he plays the same character, I believe, as he plays in Jumanji.
1: And what a muscular man!
0: A muscular man who is very funny takes the absolute Mick out of himself. Mm. Um, and, and and essentially, I think that's good chemistry to to make a lot of money at the box office is just. The in The Rock with Johnson taking the, the pee out of himself. Mm. The same with Zac Efron as well.
1: Yeah, not taking himself too seriously. If uh, you are looking to take your children to the cinema this half term, um, like I said in my review, I think 12 and over, I don't think people under 12 really should see this film. I think it lets itself down a little bit with some of the sexual references. But anyone who's over 12, it's a great film. Uh, the whole family will love it. Uh, number 10, at the bottom of the box office, we have The Post, directed by... Mr. Steven Spielberg, starring Mel Street and Tom Hanks, that took point five million at the weekend, eight point four million overall. It's been in the box office for one month, and it's it's a very good film. It's a great um, film. It's it's not an exciting film in the sense that there's no explosions, but um, no. But I
0: think the suspense is held. It's yeah. it's there's no dull moments in there, despite the fact that the 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 the, the story can or could have been. Boring, but they've made it exciting and and kept it very close to the historical facts. Really, so they could, uh, Meryl Streep, Tom Hanks, Steven Spielberg can all be you know have a pat on the back for what they've done there. They've mm. done a really good job of making this a great film, and I'm glad it's still there.
1: Yes, so I'll give the usual full rundown. At the tip, at the top of the box office, exploding everywhere at number one, Fifty Shades Free. At two, uh, we have The Greatest Showman. Three, Coco. 4. Early Man. 5. Darkest Hour. 6. Maze Runner The Death Cure. 7. Den of Thieves. Potentially Den of Thieves 2 coming very soon your way. 8. Three Billboards Outside Ebbing Missouri. 9. Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle. And 10. Make sure you get a first class stamp. It's the post.
0: So we're kicking off today's show with the first review, which is The Shape of Water. Uh, This is a film directed by Galmero del Toro, who is a wonderful fantasy uh, director. Um, Do you want to summarise what this film's about, or shall I?
1: I can do that. Um, So what we have here is it's it's set in the uh, Cold War era. uh, And basically what we have is a, a, a top research facility. Um, in the 1960s, and we have this uh, lonely sort of cleaner who's played by Sally Hawkins, and she discovers a quite a unique... um, Creature? Creature. We'll we'll refer to it as the amphibious creature, um, which is being stored in this... It's a government facility, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and I think they refer to it as multiple different things, An, an animal, a creature, an asset. Yeah um and essentially what it's doing at this facility is to to be researched upon Mm. because of the abilities of this amphibious man what it can do
1: yeah so this is an american facility and they obviously have the asset um and like i said it's important that we say it's during the cold war because the film is about the fact the americans have it um and the russians want it because obviously uh a, a a creature of this nature it would be so valuable to science um and 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 that's the premise of the film um and it really is a sort of a beauty and the beast tale um the beauty being sally hawkins but there's a lot of ambiguity about who is the beast is the beast the creature or is the beast the government official who is played by the brilliant uh actor uh it's michael shannon isn't it michael shannon yeah yeah um, Michael Shannon's a, f- a superb actor. He's brilliant in many films, and he is superb in this as well. And really, you would think that Sally Hawkins is the beauty, and the beast is the amphibious man. But actually, the beast is Michael Shannon. Um, yeah, they describe they
0: describe it as a monster as well, don't they? And yeah, and you've got the uh, the premise of of who's narrating the film. Is this mm. is this being a story that's being told by a character within the film? Or is this? Um, or are you living this with them at the same time? And 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 I like that ambiguity a little bit. I, yeah. Um, we've got some standout performances from Richard Jenkins, who plays Giles, who who also
1: narrates the film.
0: Yeah, who who we believe narrates the film. Um, there are at the beginning and the end of of the film where he's doing like a bit of narration over over the top, and it is really beautifully done and really leaves things on a very ambiguous nature and i we don't really want to give too much away because we feel that this is something that at some point you're going to watch whether it be in the cinema mm. or it's something that you watch at home um there's been a lot of hype about this film there's it's doing it's got a lot of uh, awards already
1: mm. and it's, it's won a lot of awards it's nominated for a good number of Oscars, including Best Film. Uh, Sally Hawkins is nominated for Best Actress. She's 12 to 1. Um, she gives a fantastic performance. Uh, her character's actually mute, so we don't hear her speak at all. So facial expressions and body language are uh, obviously so important, and she really does that very, very well. Mm. Um, and she really does portray
0: somebody who's incredibly lonely. Mm and and we get that sense as well from Richard Jenkins you know he's somebody who's who's able to obviously speak in the film but you learn a lot about Eliza Sally Hawkins's character through through Giles as well and you also get that through one of her friends at work as well who's played
1: by Octavia Spencer Octavia Spencer's fantastic in this isn't she she yeah. she plays that sort of big sassy black woman and she brings a lot of comedy to it um, and she's brilliant in, in in all of her films as well. So you've got four fantastic actors um, in this film, and I think and,
0: I think actually you can say maybe five or six. I mean, you've got Doug Jones as well, mm. who isn't exactly well known until around about now. He's becoming quite popular and to the forefront of of culture at the minute in the sense that he's in a lot of films. And a lot of TV shows that people didn't actually realize it's him be in it he,
1: um, he plays the amphibious man
0: he does he he plays a lot of creatures for goldro do toro he's also in the latest Star Trek um Netflix series that's on you if you don't know who he's playing have a little look you'll see you'll recognize him straight away because he's the unrecognizable person essentially mm. um and the the reason why he plays all these creatures and stuff is because he's incredibly tall, very lanky. His arms are all over the place, mm. um, and he he's can a really, very physical actor. He is the physical actor of 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 this era, I believe, um, and I think he does a standout performance as well. Mm. Um, I mean, with all those all the, these great actors and actresses playing in this film, um, and an incredible script, uh, an incredible soundtrack. It's going to be a great film but you've actually made some comparisons with other films here, haven't yeah,
1: you Yeah so Craig is a massive fan of Del Toro's work I'm not so much and the reason I'm not so much a fan of his work is because I really struggle to identify with the fantasy element of his films and and because of that I struggle to get emotionally involved so in this film I found myself really struggling to engage with the storyline simply because the whole premise was about an amphibious man, and I struggled to get emotionally attached to this man, to this creature. And you, on the other hand, didn't. Um, so it's it's beautifully shot. Uh, it's very well directed, and it's and it's well scripted. But because of that connection that I didn't have, I struggled to engage with this film as much as you did. And and the comparison I draw with it is, uh, Craig laughed when I came out of the cinema. Yeah. Um, Because I came out of the cinema a little bit annoyed because I didn't enjoy the film as much as I wanted to. And I compared it to Free Willy. Um, And Craig was horrified about this. But it is a modern day Free Willy. And I'll explain why. Uh, Sally Hawkins' character is an orphan, she is incredibly lonely and she develops this relationship with the amphibious man. Now, in Free Willy, the child is an orphan. Um, he's working at the uh, aquarium. I'm not sure you'd call it an aquarium, but um, the big aquarium. Um, and again, he's lonely. He's had a very difficult life and he develops this relationship with an orca whale. And the relationship builds without any dialogue. Cause obviously the whale can't speak. The amphibious creature can't speak. And, the whale in Free Willy is being held captive and used for the gain of man, not for science, but for entertainment. Mm. The asset here is being held captive in, its, uh, in a false environment, not for science. Sorry, for science. Um, and that that's where I drew those similarities. You have two orphans who commence relationships with... A caged animal you know, creature. Yeah. And, thing. Yeah, and yeah. very similar to Free Willy... Um, this film goes down the lines of what can Sally Hawkins do to free this creature? Yeah. Um, and I love Free Willy. <laughs> um, and I loved it because, it again, the, the orc is sort of painted as this, you know, the beast, the creature, you know, that's, that, that needs to be caged, when actually it's a very intelligent, very beautiful animal. And we see that wonderful relationship developing. And we see that relationship developing here The only difference is is I found it much easier to identify with the orca whale because orca whales are real as opposed to the fish man who (laughs) who isn't real. Um... (laughs) this is a really difficult film to review. If you like Del Toro's films, you will, you will love this. Mm. There's no doubt of all Del Toro's films. This is his masterpiece. This is what he will be remembered for.
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously there's Pan's Labyrinth as well, which was outstanding. You've got Hellboy as well, which was really great. And there are actually, there are some similarities there between Hellboy and, and this film as well, because you've got Abe, who is an amphibious creature as well, who looks very similar to the, to the asset in, in uh, the shape of water. Um, but he's been um out there, you know, saying this isn't the same creature, it's not a prequel in any way, it's not Abe. You know, this creature in in the Shape of Water is not as intelligent. It can't communicate in the sense that it can speak English where where Abe could in Hellboy. Um and and those those are where the similarities sort of completely disappear and, and the way Doug Jones portrayed Abe and portrayed um the, the asset as well is is very different as well the mm. movements the the is very- am- animalistic whereas abel's very debonair i suppose actually mm. um yeah so those are the different uh, different aspects there but but gold Toro has done a an outstanding job i think here um but some people will find it difficult to connect with but if you are somebody who really loves fantasy films you, yeah. you will connect with this film, and I think actually people will identify with with uh, Sally Hawkins's character Eliza, and I think people will will connect with richard jenkins character giles he's mm. he's a gay man living in nineteen sixties also incredibly lonely as well, but he's got this great relationship with with eliza um so there are, there will be people who will draw some connections with with the with the characters, but I think you you your head didn't really go there and didn't wasn't able to suspend the belief that mm. this could actually happen um but for for the most part, I think most people, a large majority of people, will find this film entertaining, will find it um, engaging, will connect with the characters as well. It's just there's going to be a minority of people that will think, well, a load of tosh. Yeah. I can't believe this.
1: Yeah. Um, and also the relationship of Sally Hawkins and uh, the creature, for me, I found it a little bit awkward um, and I, oh, I, there, ju- I, you know, I just I, I, struggled with yeah, it. Yeah, I agree um, with
0: you. It isn't. It is an awkward relationship, and especially one that's portrayed on screen. It is, it is awkward because it, there's a lot of actual sexual tension going on mm, there,
1: um, which I found awkward <laughs> between yeah, I mean, a woman most, and a, f- a fishman. Most man.
0: people would, but actually, this is a strange fantasy romantic film in a way, and it's there's a lot of love. Lost, love found mm. going on and, and being able to find your voice despite the fact that you are unable to communicate in the same language. That is very effective. Um And, and it works really, really
1: well. And like I said, Michael Shannon really is the beast of the film. He plays a, a, a quite a horrible man mm. um who's sort of constantly quoting Bible passages and he's, he's just a, a vile man and it's a fantastic performance and Del Toro does a great sh- job of showing that, you know... Mm. looks are superficial. Yeah, and I mean,
0: even even uh, Michael Shannon's character, Richard Strickland, does go into detail about what God made us in, you know, his, mm. his appearance, what, you know, he made, he made us in the, uh, what was it, the form of... The of, image of himself. Of, yeah, exactly, that's it. Um, but it really goes on to sort of say, well, what really is... I'm trying
1: to find the right words here to describe it. Um, what What... Yeah, really what you're trying to say is what makes us human.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: And it's, I suppose, what distinguishes us as human beings is that emotional nature that we have. Yeah. The ability to love, yeah. the ability to mourn. Yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> and the, 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 the creature seems to have those abilities. It seems to have the ability of loving, whereas Michael Shannon's character just doesn't. Mm. Um the the way Del Toro portrays 1960s America is fantastic. Um, yeah, he gets it spot on, doesn't he? Beautifully shot. Um, my favourite part of the film, my favourite clip is the start where we see Sally Hawkins' character basically floating in water, all her furniture's floating, and then it slowly settles um, into its position, and then we cut to her flat, obviously, not her engulfed in water. Mm. And that just, that, I mean, that takes talented direction um, to do something yeah. like that. And it's just great storytelling because obviously that
0: beginning part is part of the narration, mm. part of what we believe is is Giles retelling the story and trying to give us um, an alternative view of what happened or it's what he saw through his eyes, trying to tell the story in a way that gives us that happy ending that we want. Um, is this worth going to see in the cinema from your point of view? Is it worth
1: it? This is a tough one. Um, it's It's been a very long review mm. because this film is intriguing and it's so different. And I will say this, if you like fantasy films and if you like Del Toro, 100% worth it. If you don't like Del Toro and you struggle with the genre of fantasy, as I do, you may find it difficult to emotionally engage with the with the characters. Um, simply because it's a it 's a love story where the, the one of the main protagonists is uh an amphibian <laughs> <laughs> but visually stunning uh very well shot, some fantastic acting. Sally Hawkins is great, she definitely deserves the nomination so i 'm going to say overall, yes, it is worth it i don 't think everyone will enjoy this film, but it is worth going to see, and I think it 's a love or a hate film. Uh, and I've got to be honest. When I came out of the cinema, I really wasn't a big fan. And I've reflected on it, and it's 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 better than it's it it is better than I first thought.
0: Yeah, I I think this is definitely worth going to see in the cinema. And if you're somebody who doesn't like Del, Del Toro and you don't like fantasy, it's worth waiting until it comes out and and giving it a go and at least trying with it mm. because. You, you, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised if you're wanting to go and see this on the weekend. Um, you know, with your with your missus or your partner of any sort, I think it's going to be a great film to go to see. That it is a romantic film. It is there is a lot of love in this film, and I truly, truly believe that this is worth going to see in the cinema. Yes,
1: and I wasn't trying to take the Mick with my comparison to Free Willy, but. But there are strong similarities, and I, I when, really I do think out, so. when I
0: came out, when I came out, I was laughing. But then, when you drew the similarities to me and you showed it and highlighted it, there are there is a and lot of similarities, and, and I will I will agree
1: with you on them. And the main similarity between the amphibious man and the orca whale is that they are both beautiful creatures hmm. um, that really shouldn't be in a tank. Go and see this film.
0: So we're now going to be looking at the latest Marvel film, which is Black Panther. Uh, this this has come out really right at the right time, I think. Um, Marvel done. If you're if you're not familiar with Marvel's um, superhero franchise that's going on at the minute, you'll be um, looking at this film for as, as a standalone purpose. And I think every every Marvel film really needs to be looked at as a standalone sort of film. Um, and I'll be doing this review from a standalone point of view, but you will need to draw some experience from previous films that you've all that, that have been before it. Uh that includes the Avenger films and the Captain America Civil War, especially because that's where Black Panther debuted. Now, you haven't seen uh Civil War, you haven't seen most of the Marvel films, have you?
1: I've seen I've seen a few, I haven't seen all of them.
0: So you don't really know how they're connected? because a lot of, the, the the main bulk of these marvel films is that they're all connected. And you you obviously realize that, don't you? Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, and most people most people do. If you you most people that are going to be going to see this are going to be huge fans as well. But I I am going to highlight the fact that I think this is one of those films that people will need to go and see. Um it's it's definitely going to be a a shake up in in Hollywood in the sense that this is going to be an, this is an all black film, pretty much uh, a very, very brilliant cast that are all black. You've got one white guy in it um, who is, um, well, it's the ever popular um, Martin Freeman who, you know, continues being in these Marvel films from civil war as well. Uh, and what we actually have going on in this film is T'Challa, who is by, played by Chadwick Boseman, um, sort of, taking up the reign of being king after what happened in civil war um he is the black panther and he is going back to his um his african nation of wakanda um which is an isolated technological advance african nation um and he's going to be taking up the throne which is his rightful place and this place wakanda is the most visually vivid brilliant place i've ever seen and and the humour that comes from this place, the um, the brilliant interactions from all of the characters, really, really goes out of its way to be very natural and very beautiful and everything you really want from a Marvel film. Now, from the last Marvel film that we actually both saw together, mm. remember all it
1: was? Thor Ragnarok.
0: Yeah. That humour that in that film was very forced, wasn't it? Would you say it was forced?
1: I, I quite enjoyed that film. I mean... There was definitely problems with it, but um, there, were, there no, the, the humour was forced, but it was effective mm. at times, that mm. uh, South African rock man.
0: Yeah, that that is the standout point and the standout humour from that film. Obviously, there's some great interaction moments from um, Four and Hulk and those sort of parts. But with this film, you've got a lot of interactions from um, uh, Chichilla and his sister, who is currently the head um science developer of the nation she is probably around about 19 years old and super super clever mm. um and develops all of this fantastic technology and she is hilarious in this film She she's really really great and and it, it it's a lot of this film is about black women being able to be better than the men in the film uh you've got you've got, you've got the general as well who is led by a woman um this film is going to be, cha- you know, really shaking up Hollywood, I think. And and I've already said that once, but I really, really truly believe that this is going to be something very special out there. And I think it's it's smashing the box office, I think, um, by the time we come around to it next week um, when it comes out. But as a film, I really don't want to spoil it for people. I really don't want to say that this is what's going to be going on in this film because I want people to go out and see it. And and it's so worth going to see in the cinema. It's out in IMAX, super screens, all of them you could possibly go and want to see them in, even IMAX 3D. And I think actually IMAX 3D could be a really great way to see this film. And I hate 3D films, but the IMAX has to be seen on the biggest screen possible because it's mm. so colourful and bold and everything comes out. And I saw it in 2D, but I actually really felt like I wanted to go and see it in IMAX and go and see it in, in something else. Have you got any questions about, about the film?
1: No, it's... uh. Just want to touch upon what you said about um, this sort of being a groundbreaking film for Hollywood and maybe a film that will change things. I really really do hope so, but I, I have worries about this film and the worrying, my main concern of it is just, like you said, the whole the fact that it's called black panther um all of the main characters are black and there's a real theme you said about sort of you know black empowerment women's empowerment i just wonder if hollywood sort of said well let's make this film you know let's put these black actors at the forefront of hollywood and you know you know we've ticked our we've ticked our boxes and that's enough because um, there's there's no doubt in my opinion that there black actors and actresses are massively underrepresented in hollywood um, and there's a number of reasons for that which we won't go into but I, I just w- worry if this is a case of let's make this film, let's make everyone happy.
0: I do think um, there's an element of that, but realistically, it had to be made at some point, like I said. Um, and, you know, it there's no real way of coming out with this sort of film at the right time, really. Um, we had Moonlight last year that that had the black cast in it and was you know all about a black character, um, and it, it, there is changes happening, and and this is one step further I think, and I think it's done a really great job. I think let's go to a clip, and uh, we'll come and round up the rest of it after the clip.
1: I live my entire life waiting for this moment. I train, I lied, I killed. Just to get here, I killed in America,
0: Afghanistan, Iraq. I took life from my own brothers and sisters right here on this continent,
1: and all this death just so I could kill you.
0: So, what we have in that clip right there was uh, Michael B. Jordan's um, Killmonger who has wanted to take up the throne from T'Chilla and he, Michael B. Jordan does a really great um, portrayal of Killmonger in this film. And, uh, you know, there's, I wanted to talk about Andy Serkis as well, who also is another white character in the film, who is an outstanding actor anyway, um, but he's done a really great job in all the previous Marvel films that he's been in as well. And, just just the whole storyline that's going on here with Black Panther is probably one of the best storylines that we've got from one of the Marvel films. It's one of the best soundtracks that we've got from Kendrick Lamar. Um, you know, definitely going to be one of the top Marvel films.
1: Craig, I think I know the answer. I was very impressed with the trailer. The critics love it. The audience love it so far. But for you, is it worth it?
0: Yes, 100%. Go and see this film. It is worth going to see in the cinema, worth going to see on the biggest screen you can possibly go and see it on. Possibly. Possibly. Possibly (laughs) go and see it on IMAX, go and see it on whatever you want, but it's worth going to see ASAP, really.
1: Black Panther, get to the cinema and see this film.
0: So next up we have The Mercy. Uh, David, do you want to kick off with
1: this review? Yeah, so this is a film starring Colin Firth who plays the amateur sailor Donald Crowhurst Uh, and it looks at his uh, solo attempt to circumnavigate the globe um, in a yacht race in 1968. And we saw the trailer for this film many, many times to Mm. the point where we actually knew the trailer off by heart and I was really looking forward to seeing this film um and I wasn't disappointed but this film certainly wasn't what I was expecting. No, me neither. Um like you said there was a lot of people there on Valentine's Day, uh, couples going out hopefully to sort of see a you know an uplifting romantic film and that's not really um what you get with this film. Um it's it's not an uplifting film. Uh, there is uh, obviously a strong romantic element in there. Um but it's a very moving film it's very heavy it's quite sad as well Um, it's obviously based on the true story the mystery of Donald Crowhurst and his attempt to uh, navigate the globe without stopping Um, and the film starts with a real sense of enthusiasm and you see Colin Firth full of life and full of laughter really uh, excited about um, what he's going to do and that's perfectly summed up with this clip here Read it. A single-handed race around the world. It sounds miserable. It sounds profound. Heroic. Never attempted before. No stopping this time. This is the highest rung. Cannot be bested.
0: Anyone who enters such
1: a thing ought to have their head examined. If you examine it till your heart's content. I've
0: already sent in my entry form. What? what? Are you serious? Claire, did you know this? I did not. Examine it or give it a proper thrashing. <laughs> Donald, what I do they do I mean? you I shall claim the price for you, my
1: love. Five thousand quid.
0: Alone in a boat for nine months, you're either
1: drunk or mad. Well, then we should have another drink immediately so that we can rule out madness. As Chichester said, any damn fool can circumnavigate the world sober. Takes a really good sailor to do it drunk. Same again.
0: So that was the clip from The Mercy. Um, You've got uh, Rachel Weisz in there as well, playing the wife, Claire Crowhurst. Um, She was great as well, wasn't she?
1: She was very good in this film as well.
0: I think she's she's fantastic in everything she's done. You know, going back to what this film is, essentially, it's a back, back and forth, I think, um, between uh, Claire Crowhurst and Donald Crowhurst. And that's where I think the film suffers and doesn't really work so well. What do you think on that? On that?
1: Yeah, so I understand what you're saying. So obviously we have um, Donald Crowhurst who spends many, many months alone at sea and Mm. he's played by Colin Firth. And Colin Firth does a great job in this film. And one of the things I said to you actually was, if anything, it shows how brilliant Tom Hanks was in Castaway Mm. because it takes a phenomenal actor to be alone on screen for a huge amount of time, if not a whole film, which is what uh, Hanks does in Castaway. And I think Colin Firth was good enough to do that in this film, but the director didn't allow that to happen. So we went from him being alone at sea back to his family, to his press agent, and to all the enthusiasm that was being, you know, gained in England. You know, national press news about this amateur sailor attempting this uh, incredible uh, journey, and I th- and that slightly detracted from the isolation that Firth was portraying because we saw how alone he was, but we didn't really get sucked into that because we kept jumping back to um to the other main characters and i think they could have used Firth's abilities a little bit more by having a, a more extended look at what it was like to be alone at sea the film starts really upbeat and that clip shows that you know you must be drunk or mad you know maybe i'm both and i'm off and we have you know him uh building his boat and and really as, as soon as that starts to happen um the the wheels start to fall off you know you get this sense that nobody really believes in him and not not that they don't believe in him that they actually think that this isn't going to happen that he's just going to build the boat and then you know come to his senses and there's quite an eerie scene where so he's left he's left the shore and everyone's cheered him off and he's waved goodbye to his wife and kids and then immediately and I, and I mean almost instantly you you get to see inside the boat for the first time. And it's an absolute mess. You know, there's wires everywhere. It's really unorganized. Um, not, not long after leaving the shore, you know, the ship starts to leak, uh, Crowhurst then throws up. Um, and I think he starts to realize, bloody hell, what have I got myself into here? And you look at the boat and you think, well, I wouldn't trust that damn thing to get me down the Grand Union Canal, let alone (laughs) circumnavigate the globe. Um, And we start to get flashbacks of him talking to his family and his kids. And these are really upbeat flashbacks about how he's going to be a great adventurer and uh, he's going to achieve this. Um, But we soon realise that he's got himself... He's bitten off more than he can chew.
0: Yeah. And nothing better builds up this picture than with the incredible soundtrack that we've got here as well. And I think it, it comes in at the right points... And actually, the lack of soundtrack at some points mm. as well, I noticed, really gave that foreboding of of trouble ahead, sort of sort of coming up. But I do want to say that that the uh, the guy who did the soundtrack, uh, Johan Johansson, I think I've said that right, German. Um, um, uh, uh, Artist, he, <laughs>
1: <laughs> German German uh, artist. Yeah, he's um
0: <laughs> composer re, He re, yeah composer That's the word I was looking for. He recently died um a couple of weeks ago, and he's oh, done. Did he? Yeah, he he's done some incredible work for some incredible films as well. Um, and I think um this film you know paid tribute to him in, the, in a good way that with with you know a final piece that he's done. Yeah. Um, but going going back to back to the film. It, It's it's a difficult one to review because do we do we like it enough or you know is it was it you know it's a brilliant piece of directing it's great cinematography really great sense of being in the era that it's set in but I I don't know if it did it all for me.
1: I think what you've got to say about this film is if you know the story of Crowhurst, you obviously know how it ends, so you'll 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 go and you'll know uh, the outcome, and that will. Perhaps soften the blow slightly of of, of of this film.
0: I I have to admit I didn't know. The Neither did I. And, um, it, and
1: and it went down a route, a much darker route than I was expecting from the trailer.
0: Mm, the trailer really does suck you into a
1: different sort of film that you think you're going to be going into, and and yeah. And we said in that sense that's effective because the trailer. I always warn people about trailers. If a trailer is too long, it often represents a bad film. This trailer wasn't a long trailer, and it also didn't give a huge amount away and it really drew you in um, and one of my favourite moments of the film actually is you often hear of the, the the phrase the calm before the storm and there's this beautiful scene with with Crowhurst when he's in the, the North Atlantic um, or travelling down the North Atlantic and he knows of the um, the difficulties that are about to uh, uh, face him as he ch- uh, changes oceans and it's a beautiful calm sea and there's lovely uh, shots of dolphins and whales and that real sense of he is out there alone um in terms of human life yeah but he's he's surrounded by 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 beauty and by nature and it shows how nature can change as well because you know the next scene he's involved in you know what looks like a bloody monsoon mm. and it's, it, it's it's a well-made film, it's well-directed. Like I said, first very good. I, I'd like to have just had him a bit more isolated. Like you said, the constant back and forth, back and forth. It didn't work for me. Yeah. I think that's reflected on the fact that the critics have responded much better to this film than the audience. The critics really quite like this film, um, with a score on Rotten Tomatoes in the high 70s, whereas the audience scores in the low 50s. And I think that's because it's a, a critically very well-received piece, but I think the viewers have been left maybe slightly upset by this film because it is a harrowing tale of a man basically alone at sea without his family, and yeah. that is is quite upsetting. So I think I'm ready for the question. David, is it worth it? I'm going to say no. Um, I don't think this is worth seeing at the cinema because... It's the sort of film that you'd be able to watch at home. Um, it's, it's not like Black Panther. I don't think it's particularly effective on the big screen. And also, I, it, it is quite a sad story about a man who attempts the impossible uh, and ends up, you know, really struggling with life on life's terms on his own. And I just think people will come out a little bit upset by this film. Mm. And in that sense, you know, do you want to go to the cinema and spend 10 quid just to be upset? personally not for me like i said it's a good film colin first fantastic but I, I, I it's not something that i would encourage people to necessarily go and see at the cinema
0: mm. there we have it the mercy not worth it
1: Okay, so now we're going to have a look at 1517 to Paris, which is directed by Clint Eastwood. Um, And this film basically looks at the foiled uh, terrorist plot on a train, uh, surprisingly, to Paris. Um, And the best way to start talking about this film is to talk about the heroism of the three main characters who actually play themselves in the film, um, which turns out to be... uh, a complete disaster and I don't think that's their fault I think that's Clint Eastwood's fault but you've got um, Alec Scarlettos, Anthony Sadler and Spencer Stone three Americans who are backpacking around Europe who whilst on this train to Paris um, managed to take down uh, and disarm a terrorist um, Spencer Stone gets severely injured in the doing so he gets stabbed in the back of the neck with a box cutter also nearly loses his finger the terrorist had 300 rounds of ammunition uh, an automatic weapon and a handgun, uh, and if it wasn't for these uh, three heroes disarming him, um, the devastation on that train would have been, well, unthinkable. So they are, without doubt, heroes. They were honoured all around the world. They were given um, medals, uh, the highest medal of honour in, in France by the French president, and there is no doubt of 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 the fact that they are heroes, but unfortunately, that's about the only good thing I can say, about this as a film. Because as a film, this is an absolute catastrophe. Uh, And I really do mean that. It is a disaster. Um, And it's a disaster for a number of reasons. Clint Eastwood seems to have lost the plot here. Um, I, I, I don't know what, was going through his mind.
0: It's a, it's, a, it's a, that's really strange to hear, really, because Clint Eastwood usually top notch, really. Yeah,
1: well, I've got uh, a list of some of his films here: Changeling with Angelina Jolie, brilliant; Gran Torino, where he where he was in it himself, fantastic; J Edgar, uh, DiCaprio gave a great performance. The film was slightly flawed. American Sniper, he recently made, which again was. Uh, a superb film and he, and he has qualities as a director and i think that's epitomized in Grand Torino if you haven't seen that uh, don't see this go and see that but this film is a disaster and and it's not just a disaster because the three guys play themselves um because they try but They're not actors. It's like sending me to Afghanistan. You know, I'll try, but I'm not a soldier, you know, and I would very soon be dead and shot because I'm not a soldier and these three guys aren't actors. And not only are they not actors, bless them, they're not particularly charismatic guys either. They're just, as bad as this sounds, they're just three sort of quite normal blokes. Hmm. And what Eastwood tries to do here is the film starts off looking back at their past and their three fairly problematic children at school and they come across each other um, and two of them dream of being in the air force and the army and over what felt like an eternity um Eastwood shows you know their initiation into into this into the forces and we see them training and but but it's so dull
0: it's, it's really strange to hear this that he's gone down this route because Sully which I saw in the cinema um, with Tom Hanks was was brilliant, and that was held all in the moment yeah. that this happened, that the event happened, and it feels like Clint Eastwood has taken yeah. a completely different route with with the a true a real life event that mm. happened and has gone down
1: this appalling, ridiculous shambles of a route, really. Yeah. So, like you said, two his last two films, American Sniper and Sully, fantastic. And I suppose he does deserve some credit for taking a risk, Hmm. in the sense that he's tried to give these guys the credit they deserve by casting them in a Hollywood film. But the film is diabolically boring, scarily boring, and I've selected a clip here, and believe it or not, this is one of the more exciting clips that I could find from the film. You guys just want to skip Paris? At least delay it a little bit. I'm starving. Maybe it's like you're saying, like life's kind of catapulting you towards something. Right now, it's catapulting me towards some hangover food. What would you say? I don't know, man. It was something I said in Venice. I was caught up in that European high, I'm not gonna lie. Nah, nah, (laughs) nah. You should have heard this guy. He was talking about how life is catapulting him towards something like some greater purpose or something like that. (laughs) Spencer said that? I know, (laughs) right. You still think that? I mean, I guess, but nothing's actually stopping us. If we weren't meant to be on the train tomorrow, something would physically stop us. An object in motion stays in motion unless acted upon by our group before us. (laughs) Okay, I'm Come telling on. you, man, he's been deep as hell on this trip. I can't <laughs> even deal
0: with
1: <laughs> So there you have it. That is, uh, believe it or not, one of the better clips I could find. Because having had this analysis of their troubled youth and the fact that they've finally got into the, uh, the armed forces, they go backpacking around Europe. And we have about 45 minutes of, honestly, pointless dialogue. Nothing happens... They're scene after scene of them just standing in, uh, you know, places in in Italy taking selfies. This the most bizarre scene where the three main characters and a, a, and another American they bump across in Europe order ice cream and it's literally, oh I'll, I'll have vanilla please. Oh yeah, I'll have strawberry. Oh I'll, I'll have chocolate. Mm, 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 delicious, these <laughs> ice cream's Oh this ice cream is lovely. How's your ice cream? Yeah oh, yeah. God. Oh it's great. Oh how's Italy? Oh yeah, Italy's been really fun. About four minutes of that them taking selfies poorly acted, which isn't particularly their fault. Awful dialogue, and then this cheesy introduction of I'm destined for a greater purpose. I mean, the film is called The 1517 to Paris. We don't even get to the bloody train until about... 80% 80% of the film is gone and when they finally get on the train all you see is the one clip that they've included in the bloody trailer and we know what happens on the train we know they disarm the terrorist. so it is awful it's a truly terrible film three heroes three great men um, but this I mean Clint Eastwood I don't know what on earth he was thinking this is a terribly boring film do not waste your money do not waste your time ask oh, me uh, the question uh, the, the question okay here we go Um, David is it worth it? Absolutely not. This is not worth it. Buy Gran Torino on DVD and watch that instead because this is a disastrous film. Three heroes and the film doesn't do them justice.
0: Okay. <laughs> you know what? That is a superb review. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> okay, we're going to crack on with the next review. We're going to go straight into it. We're going straight into we it, Barney. The next review is... Tad, the Lost Explorer, and the Secret of King Midas. Now, this is a kids' film that's uh, evidently come out for the half term. Um, packed cinema when I went to go and see this, and the audience were really, really good, really well behaved, <laughs> which is what I like to see from a kids' film. No kids standing up, no mums talking on their phones like when I was seeing Coco. Um, oh dear, yeah. Um, but what this any, film? Any, dr-
1: any, any, anyone drunk in the cinema
0: following our email last week? No, I don't think so. What, yeah, No, I haven't had any drunken experiences in the cinema, did you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Moving swiftly on.
0: <laughs> uh, so this film stars Tad Jones. Uh, it's an animated film, by the way. Um, he's the most awkward explorer you've ever encountered. Um, and he must rescue his beloved Sarah from a millionaire who is looking for the King Midas necklace. Now, Sarah is... An, Excellent archaeologist, um, world-renowned for things that she's found. And she's recently discovered um, where the King Midas uh, necklace or pieces of the King Midas necklace are located. And whoever holds the Midas necklace is able to turn things to gold, essentially.
1: Gold Um, finger.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, the bassy. Um, So, essentially, it's a really exciting film. It really does have a lot going on in the film, and and Indiana Jones is referenced quite a lot within this film. Um, Shall we go and have a little listen to a clip?
1: Let's do that. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm delighted to present to you my most important discovery... The definitive proof that thousands of years ago King Midas and his collar actually existed. The Midas
0: Papyrus. So that's a clip for the film and this this was really funny there's a lot of really great characters going on in this film um there's you know you do actually gain an emotional you know connection with Tad and with Sarah and you're really rooting for them throughout the whole film and and, and at a point near the end of the film I did really feel myself like like really, like almost tearing up a little bit. Oh um, I know, and and I I was quite surprised by that myself, and <laughs> and thought, well, this 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 has got something going on here, and I I really do feel that this is going to be a really popular film. I hope. Um, I mean, the IMDb popularity is is really quite low, and I'm quite surprised by that. I I think um, the storyline was really good. I thought the opening sequence was fantastic, with, um, with Sarah swimming under the the ocean, finding the scroll that had. The information that she needed on there, and it was really action packed, and really had a sense of of Indiana Jones going on in there, and and you know this is this is a film for for kids that can want to go on adventures and and want to um, you know be transported elsewhere in, in in life and things like that. So,
1: and from what you said, it sounds like adults will enjoy this as well.
0: Yeah, 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 definitely. I I definitely enjoyed it. I mean, if you're going to take your kids to the cinema at the weekend, then uh, I think this is one of them uh, that you should go and go and
1: see. Well on that note, Craig, I think I shall ask you a little bit a little bit I think I shall ask you the question. Yeah, go on then. Tad the Lost Explorer and the secret of King Midas is it worth it? Yes.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's worth taking the kids to go and see. Um you'll get a kick out of it as well. Um so that's, that's pretty much all I can really say about it because I I don't really want to ruin it because there was that emotional connection. I want you to have that emotional connection with it as well. All right, so that's the end of the podcast. We've done all the reviews today. Fantastic. you happy with that? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, as always, please do get in touch with us. We do really enjoy getting your emails, and yeah. uh, we do select the best ones to read out. Uh, to, so to email us, uh, the email address is mymailisworthit at gmail.com. You can tweet us at filmisworthit. The Facebook page will be in the description. Um, yeah. Are you going to summarise the end of this podcast? I don't know how we're going
1: to end the show because normally we end the show with me insulting you and what you're wearing, so... But you can't this time, other than... Apart from a three-year-old's hat, a very small head.
0: It's the only one I could buy. A
1: tiny head.
0: It's the only one I could buy, right? It's the only one that fits my head.
1: Well, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the show. Please do get in contact with us and uh, have a very good week of cinema going. Yeah. See you later. Cheerio. Darling. (laughs)